Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be um, bouncing back. We, we wrapped up Jonah, and now we're going to be bouncing back to our um, series that we're going to, just going to be kind of doing the, uh, the, the, the slow grind through the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't say that like it's, a, like it's an arduous task, but uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a, one of the most significant passages of Scripture in that it's a a big chunk of teaching from the mouth of God himself. Uh, all of, We believe all of Scripture to be um, inspired by God, poured out by God, um, written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, such that it wouldn't tell us anything different had God written it with his own hand. But it still, ha- you know, most of Scripture does have a, a little bit, you know, you just you kind of have some of the flavor of this person's writing and that person's writing. Man, go and read John and then go and read Peter. They're different. They're not contradictory. But this is the words of, it not, it's all the word of God. But this is from the mouth of God. Anyway, it's exciting. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be particularly studying uh, verses 13 through 16, but I, I want to just kind of, as we return back to this, um, back up to the beginning of it here. To verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other kind, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that you will help us to see it with fresh eyes. God, if this passage is familiar, help us to cut through the familiarity of it and hear it new. God, if this passage is new to us, in the same way, we ask that you give us understanding. God, your word 
is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Help us not to forsake it. As we'll see this morning, we cannot be the salt and light of the earth, salt of the earth and light to the world, if we are not continually fed by your word. So we ask for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a couple of approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this is, you're just kind of getting what I've been learning as I've been studying it, which I guess is literally what preaching is. Um, so, <laughs> um, but what I have really been learning is as we kind of, in some ways, struggled to kind of work through this, this teaching from Christ. It seems at times to be this disjointed, you know, we're going to talk about salt and light. First, we're going to talk about like all these different people, the Beatitudes, blessed are the, you know, these different people, and salt and light, and Christ talks about the law, and then there's uh, some teaching on anger, some teaching on lust, some teaching on divorce, some teaching on oaths, retaliation, love your enemy, you know, I'm just reading the headings here, you know. There's like all these random teachings on all kinds of things, which has led uh, people to approach this passage differently. Maybe this is a sermon that Jesus preached, but maybe these are things Jesus taught about. And Matthew is writing them down. Maybe there was a lot more here. There was a lot more that Jesus said, and Matthew just kind of wrote down the bullet points of you know, kind of the outline of what he could remember. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I don't. he was a tax collector, not like a court stenographer. So, I mean, how do you write down everything he said? Well, it helps if you have the Holy Spirit inspiring what you're writing. But... You know, it may, maybe this is like the great, you know, Matthew's compilation of like Jesus' greatest hits. Like these are some of the things that, every, you know, would go places and Jesus would teach these things. And so here's kind of like a bunch of random stuff Jesus taught about. But the more I study this passage and the more I read about different ways to approach this passage, I think... I've come across and learned a better way to read it. Not as a bunch of disjointed lessons, not as a bunch of laws that Jesus is revisiting and reteaching, like, hey, you've heard it, you've heard this, but I'm telling you it's actually this. And so now we've got a new set of rules we gotta live by, right? I don't think. Either of those approaches are really the best way to approach this passage. I, it's, I've come to the conclusion, and I'm not the only one to think this, but um, I've come to the conclusion that the better way to approach this passage is that this, this, was, this can be taken, Matthew 5 through 7. It's like three chapters of Jesus teaching about the kingdom. You see, he's got a whole sermon, Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then you skip ahead and like from chapter, you know, chapter 10 into 11, like, you know, there's all this, and then 13 is a, is a whole other collection of, of random, random teachings, seemingly random, but they're, the teaching is about the kingdom. And so I want to propose that as, as we approach this, as we continue to work our way through this, this will be, you know, basically like through the end of the year, we're going to continue continue coming back to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and working our way through it, 
This is a cohesive teaching about the kingdom. And so his lesson here about salt and light isn't just about salt and light and kind of using those as cool examples. It's about the kingdom. And the teaching on anger is not just a lesson about anger. It's a lesson about the kingdom. And the lesson about divorce is not just a lesson about that. It's actually a lesson about relationships in the kingdom. And um, anyway, I don't want to spoil all of those because I uh, you know, keep you in suspense. But uh, especially that one because Pastor Matt's going to get to teach that one. Here? No, somewhere else you're teaching that one. On your anniversary weekend, right? Michael's anniversary, yeah. It's going to be Michael's anniversary, and Pastor Matt's going to teach about divorce up in the locale. It's going to be great. Um, but as we approach this passage here, it, it, let, let me read just this short section here. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Salt and light. Salt in the ancient world uh, carried with it a great importance. Um, you may have heard that, uh, you know, that there was... There were times when Roman soldiers, from what I understand, it would be like literally their wages would be paid in salt. Now, that does not seem valuable to us. Like if you, if, you, if you got your paycheck in bags of salt, you would probably take that to mean, uh, they're firing me. Um, I, I don't think you would probably appreciate that. Uh, you would say, thanks, but the grocery store and the gas station keep insisting on money. I don't know what that's about. Which, I don't want to brag about going to expensive places, but... And I don't always go to expensive places. But I did go to the gas station twice this week. So, just saying. Moving on up in the world. Um, I said to the guy in the, at the pump across to me, from me, he was putting diesel in his truck. And he read me the number, which was well over $100, and I said, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> but, but salt was a valuable commodity in the ancient world. And do you want to know why? We're enjoying one of the reasons why it's not so valuable in our world right now. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? It's air conditioning. We have one of the modern marvels. So we have figured out how to artificially make things cold that would otherwise be hot. <clears throat> For example, like, have you ever gone in and bought like half a cow because it's like a cheaper or better way to buy meat, I guess? Jenny, no? Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> why can you do that? Because, and what do you do? There's one thing you need if you're going to buy half a cow. What's that? Big chest freezer. You got to be able to put it somewhere where you can keep it cold. You know what you wouldn't do in the ancient world? Buy half a cow. <laughs> because you can't eat that much before it goes bad. Here's where, here's where I'm going with this. Salt is what they had instead of refrigeration. Yeah, they had some ways to, you know, put, you know, they Actually, I don't know how much in Israel because they didn't get a lot of ice even in the wintertime. But like, you know, in some parts of the world, they'd cut ice and, you know, put it in a cave and cover it with sawdust or something and keep it cold. And then, 
you know, you'd be able to, you know, sort of keep some stuff cold. But, and especially in the ancient Middle East, that was not a thing. Salt was a preservative. Salt still is a preservative. Um, anybody here like beef jerky? Jenny? No? No, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to do this the whole time. Um, that is meat that is not refrigerated. Why does it literally never go bad, right? It never goes bad, right? I've eaten small beef jerky. Like, you know, when you're cleaning out the car and you find some in the... I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's gross. It doesn't go bad because it is salted. The, the meat is salted and so the moisture is drawn out of it and it is preserved. Preserved from spoiling. Preserved from going bad. Preserved from, you know, the bacteria that would, that would cause you to get sick if you ate it. Can't live on it because of the salt. And so salt was extremely important. I mean, can you imagine how expensive your life? I mean, it would be like eating at a restaurant all the time. If you had to, every meal you ate, all of your food, like this is, our, okay, you got to eat it because we can't keep it. And you got to buy everything fresh all the time because you can't, you can't refrigerate anything. Salt is absolutely critical in the ancient world. Otherwise, your life just got really expensive. <clears throat> It's not just about taste, but it is also about taste. And I'm learning this lately because I've developed this sensitivity to salt on like my lips. Like I eat chips. I love chips. In the evening, I get a hankering for chips. I could kill a whole bag of chips. And maybe that's why I've developed this sensitivity to salt. But like it, it, it bothers me. And so like I'm finding that I'm eating stuff with less salt. And it's, you know what? It's not as good. It's not as good. Someone at one point introduced me to pretzels with ice cream oh the ice cream is so much sweeter because like the salt and the pretzel like does something to bring out the sweetness in the ice cream i thought it was crazy and i tried it and it's delicious the salted watermelon you know all that weird stuff we thank you internet <clears throat> but salt does something to the things it comes into contact with when you boil water if you put salt in it first it will boil at a lower temperature, it'll boil sooner. Um, if you're, we don't experience this here, but for those of you who used to live up in colder places, if your um, walkway is frozen, you put salt on it, and the freezing point of water is also lowered, right? Yeah, lowered. So anyway, it melts the ice. <laughs> salt does something to what it comes into contact with. In fact, it, it fundamentally changes what it comes into contact with. It, it works at, at a molecular level. I mean, if you salt a steak, you either salt it right before you put it on the grill or you salt it like an hour before. Apparently, there's something molecularly that's happening in that in between that's not so good. But like, if you leave it sit overnight with the salt, and that, that salt has the opportunity to work into... The meat, sorry, Jenny, again, um, it, 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 it makes it more tender. It brings out more flavor. It is changing at a molecular level what it has come into contact with. It's a powerful agent of change. And the, the point that I want to make that I've, 
I feel like this, you know, where this connects with what Jesus is talking about, this is something that they would have understood in the ancient world, whether they understood the molecular change or not. Guess what? You eat something that's been salted or something that hasn't, you know the difference. It's clear. Um, this meat will make you sick. This meat is still good. This one's been salted. Jesus, in opening this teaching on the kingdom, starts by describing the people in the kingdom of God. People are different in the kingdom of God. Allow me to describe some of them to you. The poor in spirit. This is the kingdom of heaven. Boom. Opening, opening phrase. Kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn. The meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness the merciful, the, po- the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Describing all of those in the third person, these are the kind of people that are in the kingdom. These are not the people that you see rising to prominence in the world around you, and so I'm here to tell you that in the kingdom of God, it works differently. The measure for success in climbing the, climbing the social ladder in the kingdom of heaven is different than here in the kingdoms on earth. Who gets ahead here on earth most often? Who doesn't get ahead? Nice guys. Nice guys finish last, right? Now that's like a phrase that we have. And you know why that's a phrase? Because it's, it can largely be true in, in our world. Who are some of the most powerful people in the world? They are people that have, that have, um, I I don't mean to, I'm not trying to like name specific, like, oh, these, these rich and powerful people are all evil. That's not really my point, even if it is true or even if it's not true, whatever. That's, that's not the point. But people that get ahead in this world, um, can very easily be the strong ones. The ones who keep their emotions in check. The ones who stick up for themselves. The ones who are comfortable making ethically questionable decisions. Those who exact justice one way or another. Those who Maybe don't start the fights, but they sure finish them. I'm literally just going through the list and saying the opposite. And these are the people that often get ahead in the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of heaven, it works differently. The people that you see getting ahead in the kingdom of heaven, what is celebrated there, what is the ideal there, is different. And in verse 11, as he gets into this, you know, as he, as he begins to enter this, this discourse about salt and light, he turns it into the second person and says, blessed are you. These are the types of people that are in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, When you are these things, 
and you're not celebrated in this world, when you choose to be meek, when you choose to be merciful, when you choose to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and this world doesn't celebrate that. In fact, they trample all over you, call you all kinds of terrible names, take advantage of you. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I go through all of that because we went through that section very slowly. And I think it's important as we we move on that we see how that ties into this teaching on the kingdom. He's still in the second person. Now he's talking to the people sitting in front of him. You are the salt of the earth. You, here in this kingdom, not in the kingdom of heaven yet, but you will be, your citizenship is there, but you are like sojourners traveling in a foreign land in the kingdom here on earth. Those that come into contact with you ought to experience some change. You are the salt of the earth. We have the benefit of, of looking at Scripture as a whole. And we know that, that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, gave us a mission. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But, but that message actually wasn't, it was like an update. But, but the nation of Israel, who's basically who he's talking to at that point, uh, they, you know, like his crowd would have been Jewish, had been given a mission too. The, the, all the nations of the world were to be blessed through them. They were to be a nation of priests. What does a priest do? He goes between God and man. We have, there is one mediator between God and man now, the man Christ Jesus. But Israel was to be a nation of priests. Even though they had a tribe of priests that helped them worship God rightly, they were to be a nation of priests who went between God and the rest of the world and shared the knowledge of God with the rest of the world. They had been given a mission. Here's where I'm going with this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste... I don't know that this is even a thing that can happen for salt to lose its saltiness. That's not the point. This is like a hypothetical. Okay, just think of it this way. Hypothetically, if salt were to lose its saltiness, what's it good for? Absolutely nothing. You just throw it out. If, if salt is no longer salty and the, the meat you put it on is still going to spoil... And the food that you put it on is still going to taste the same as it tasted before. There is literally no point to it. It is worthless. It has no value. And it will be thrown away. Salt has a purpose. And when salt, if salt can't fulfill its purpose, then it's 
It's not worth anything. Similarly, we have been given a mission, a purpose. And when we don't fulfill that mission, what value are we contributing to the kingdom of heaven? If God has, if God has appointed us to carry the message of his gospel into the world, and we don't do that, What are we doing? Some of the, there's a powerful illustration here about the salt preserving something, like let's just think meat, preserving the food from corruption. And that is a powerful parallel to the gospel in our lives as we take it into the world that, that we, if we are the salt of the earth, we have this mission to, to bring the life-saving message of the gospel, the only thing that can preserve men's souls from corruption. The corrupting, not only the corrupting influence of sin, but also the ultimate corruption of sin, which is separation from God and torment in a, in a real place called hell. Only gospel can preserve people from that. We are the salt of the earth. It means we are the agent of change. We are the agent that has been tasked with carrying this message. How will they know if they don't hear? And how will they hear if no one preach it? I love what he says next. Blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. He goes on and says, you are the light of the world. He kind of switches illustration, but it's the same point again. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Why would they understand this? Jerusalem is set on a hill. They say they're going up to Jerusalem no matter what direction away from Jerusalem they are. They're in the north, in Galilee, and they say, we're going up to Jerusalem. And we Western thinkers look at the map and say, you're not going up to Jerusalem. You're going down to Jerusalem. It's south. But why would we assume they'd look at the map the same way? Uh, no. In elevation, you're climbing up to Jerusalem no matter where you are coming from because Jerusalem is a city set on a hill, right? I haven't been there yet. Pastor Matt is, is affording me the awesome opportunity to go to Israel and see these things for, for real in person uh, this fall. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. And Miss Debbie's going with us, so we're, we're real excited. Um, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. There were different types of cities. If you've ever seen The Lord of the Rings, and this is just a great illustration of this, but um, there's... There is a fortress city that is built into the side of a mountain called Helm's Deep. Am I the only Lord of the Rings fan in here? Okay, you guys are tracking with me. You understand. Um, <clears throat> Helm's Deep is like hidden. You got to know it's there. It's like down in this valley, and at the end of the valley where it would be a dead end, there's a fortress built in. That can be hidden. What can't be hidden is a city that's set on a hill. The watchfires around that city wall are visible from great distances away. 
You can always find it. There's lots of strategic reasons why you would put a city on a hill. It's real hard to get snuck up on if your city's on a hill. You can see them coming with enough time to get ready. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. This is a powerful illustration because, again, the Jewish people were tasked with being a nation of priests. The world ought to know God through you. And as an illustration of that, their like holy city, Jerusalem, Zion, is set on a hill, a beacon of light to the world around it. It should be. You know, likewise, we don't, don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now, he's not talking about lampshades here. He's talking about covering up the light that you just lit so that you can't see it. This, this is not something that you do. Now, like when we used to have lock-ins when I was in youth group, we would turn off all the lights, and then there would be like the exit lights you couldn't turn off, so we'd take like black constructor paper and like tape over all those, make it like totally dark, which is very safe, I know. Um, those were good times. That's not a, well, it's not a thing you should do. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not, that, like that's, that's not the purpose of light. Here's how light is an agent of change. Light changes your perspective. If you've ever stumbled around in a, in a dark room and then turned on the light, you know, many of you may live in a house where everything stays in the same place and so everything's very familiar. And uh, I, um, Pastor Ben's uh, parents, they've moved around a lot and they always say that home is, where, is any place that you can find your way around in the dark. Uh, that's a good perspective. Um, but if you have a lot of um, small children in your house, everything is not um, necessarily where it should be. And if your kids are really into Legos, this is dangerous at night. And so you're stubbing your toe on things or, or stumbling over things. And sometimes we stumble over things that we even knew were there. Um, but if the light is on, your perspective has changed. You, you know how far, you, sometimes you bump into something, oh, I didn't think I'd walked that far yet. But when the light is on, you don't have that. You see it coming and you, and you know. Light gives you perspective. If you've ever, I don't know, gone camping or, or something, or gone somewhere when it was dark, and you settle in for the night, and then in the morning you get. We had this. This was a really cool um, opportunity when uh, we took a road trip um, for for a. We had a death in the family, and we took a road trip up to northern Vermont uh, along with Luke and Jenny. And we couldn't do it all in one fell swoop because that's like a three day drive we did in only two days. And so we stopped. We were going to stop and get a hotel, but there was some big event going on, so we couldn't get a hotel, so we just kept driving. And finally, Jenny found us this really cool Airbnb that was, like, big enough, had enough rooms to sleep all of us in Virginia. And it was, like, this old historic home. We were like, oh, that's kind of cool. So, like, you know, finally find it. You drive off the, off the highway, and it was beautiful. It was, I guess you know, the best we could tell, it was, like, 2 in the morning. We get there, we settle in. It's sure enough, it's old and historic, and it's it's super cool. I thought it was super cool. Kara and the kids thought it was super creepy. I've heard it both ways. We settle in, sleep for the you know the rest of the night, and we wake up in the morning, and we see this place for what it is. This is like an old, historic, I guess like plantation house. I mean, like it looked out over acres and acres of what would have been fields. I mean, like 
It was like we went to sleep and woke up in a different century. It was, it was so cool. But, but light was what gave us that perspective. You know, in, in the, in the night, we're walking, you know, we're, we're kind of getting there and stumbling our way through and, and, and it's like, you know, maybe, maybe it's kind of a creepy house. And then in the morning, it was like, whoa, this place is so cool. I would totally stay here again. You know, I could spend a whole day here just checking everything out. But it was light that gives you that perspective. That made all the difference between creepy and kind of cool, but still slightly creepy. Light gives us perspective. True light can't be hidden. And it ought to shine for everyone to see. Similarly, our testimonies, our message can be like salt. And I'm not really trying to totally separate out this distinction between our message and our testimony. But our message, the gospel, has the power to change people. And likewise, our message and our testimony also has, ought to have the ability to, to offer a new perspective. You see, if someone comes into contact with us and we share the gospel with them, and they are saved. They gain a new perspective on everything. A new perspective on what's the meaning of life? What's my purpose? What should I be doing? Am I doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Am, am I loved? Am I valued? Who or what am I? All of this comes into focus and clarity under the light of the gospel. You are made in the image of God. You are so valuable that God, for his own glory, sent his son to die in your place so that you could have a relationship with him. God wants a relationship with you. In fact, God wants to give you the good life Certainly beyond this life, but even in this life. Now, granted, he's going to redefine what the good life is. But when we meditate on the Lord, he gives us the desires of our hearts, and, and our desires begin to change. And all of this is perspective that changes due to the light of the gospel. The salt and light. I don't want to get too far into the illustration, but there is something to be said about our hearts being tenderized. Hearts need to soften. Because when we read, blessed are the meek, we think, well, that's good for them. Are there any other ones here that I might want to be? When we're called to be salt and light, it's not just, hey, here's the new rules. He's saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And you can get, a, you can get like a, a small taste of it here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You can get a taste of it here, but, but here's the thing. Don't get hung up on this because the kingdom of heaven is forever. Forever. And this life that you live in the kingdom of earth while your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, this is, you're going to look back on this like it's just a blip on the timeline of eternity. The kingdom of heaven is so much better this is what people are like there. 
This is what's celebrated there. This is what what it's like. It's so much better. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge to see this passage differently. Thank you for the clarity that you give us that your kingdom is different. Your kingdom operates under a, uh, a, a different set of rules than this world because your kingdom's not broken. Your kingdom has no end. The, the crown in your kingdom never passes from one generation to the next because you are forever. You are always righteous always just, always merciful, and always good. And I pray that you would help us. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to give those around us a small taste of what it will be like in the kingdom of heaven. And God, help us not to be enticed by the kingdom of this world, not to be drawn in to the, the ways to climb the social or corporate ladders of this world that are not in line with your kingdom. God, help our lives and our words to be a powerful testimony to your saving love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 